Hello, and welcome to the Text Mix brought to you by the Texas Signal. I'm Jessica Montoya Coggins, and today I am very excited. We're bringing the second half of our I think it's, is it our third or fourth season? It's, it, time is just like jumbling forth. Uh, I blame the multiverse. Um, but today I'm very excited to be joined by Elizabeth Ginsburg, uh, who is a state representative candidate for House District 108. So welcome, Liz. Well, thank you, Jessica. I am thrilled to be on the Text Mix podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to it and I'm happy to be your guest today. Yes. So Elizabeth is a, a longtime attorney. Um, she, she's been a stalwart Democrat. Uh, we've seen her on the can, uh, volunteering for numerous candidates, and now she's a candidate herself. Uh, folks who, who followed have known my plight as being as be totally redistricted out of everything. Uh, and uh, Liz is the same way. Uh, so she's actually, I, I live in, in this house district 108, so I'm very excited. Uh, what, what has it been like to go from volunteer to, to, uh, to candidate now? You know, it, it's really been fun. I've enjoyed it. Um, it's been great meeting so many people in the district. I know this district well. I've lived here for about 26 years. Every time we've lived in, in Dallas, it just so happens it's in this district. And we've lived in some different parts. But um, so I know the district well. And it's been great seeing old friends, seeing new friends on the campaign trail. I mean, it is different when you're the candidate. Um, but I, like you mentioned, I've done a lot of work as a, as a Democratic volunteer. So I think I had a pretty good sense of what's involved in running for office. Um, I'd been a precinct chair for about six years. Um, my brother-in-law was a former district court judge, and we worked a lot on his campaigns for about the last 12, 12 years or so, probably a bit more than that now. And, um, and then I also worked on some on volunteered on some legislative races that were really impactful in me understanding really who this community is. And it's, you know, you, you mentioned that we had an entire flip in this district with redistricting. We had been represented by John Turner in the Texas House, Nathan Johnson in the state Senate, and Colin Allred in Congress. Um, and we flipped every one of those seats in 2018. And I know I worked hard on that with a lot of volunteers on the ground. We got organized and worked hard to get our Democrats out and talk to moderate voters. And that's really what this district's experience is. Um, and that was really instrumental to me in understanding who lives here and what they're looking for. I've been knocking on doors and talking to voters for a long time about these issues. And uh, so I live in, in House District 108, yes. but for listeners who may be a little curious and for our folks who are way outside of North Texas, could you talk a little bit yes. about, about this district? Sure. Uh, this district the newly drawn district starts in the bottom, uh, in the, the southern end of the district is the uptown area of Dallas, which has a lot of young professionals. It's the State Thomas area. I was just over there yesterday. And then it runs north up Turtle Creek Boulevard, which includes a lot of high rises. Um, and it's a pretty affluent area. And then it goes into Highland Park and University Park. 
Um, and then further north, it includes both old and new Preston Hollow. So that includes parts both east and west of the, of the tollway. Um, and it goes over to about Midway Lane on the west side and kind of tapers down to Highland Park. And then on the east side at that point, it picks up parts of Lakewood which are, it, it's one of the most beautiful areas of Dallas. I just think it's gorgeous and I have really enjoyed meeting the voters over there, but it's every, it's all of the parts of Lakewood that are in the district are on the west side of um, White Rock Lake. Mm -hmm. Then it runs north and there's kind of a cut in where 114 grabs that area, but this district continues essentially the area between the tollway and Central Expressway going, going north. Then as you go a little farther north, it goes all the way up to 635, which is kind of a North Dallas area. And then it grabs to the east Lake Highlands which is another area of Dallas that's just, just great and had been part of the old 114 as well. And I had walked in that area and knew it pretty well. Then we grabbed three precincts to the north, which is the Northwood Hills area. So what do these voters all have in common? Uh, our Republican incumbent thinks they're Republican voters. I'm calling this district kind of the Republicans last stand in Dallas County. Um, what I think he hasn't factored in is that this is a pretty moderate district, even though he may think it leans Republican. And it's a district that's very well educated, that's concerned about extremism, concerned about the anti-intellectualism being talked about in politics and peddled in Austin. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned Lakewood. Uh, I live in Preston Hollow now, but I grew up in Lakewood and I actually, I looked up my old house, uh, which was sort of nestled in the M streets. And I, I thought it would be in 114 and it's actually 108. And you're absolutely right that that area, it has changed a lot since I was a, yes. an elementary school student at Lakewood Elementary, um, but it's still quite I mean, um, I, I remember seeing so many Colin Allred signs. There were a lot yes. of Biden signs even mm -hmm. in 2020. Um, so it is, it's not the, uh, not quite the Republican enclave that, that I think. Um, but you, so you've mentioned sort of talking to, to voters. What have been some mm -hmm. of the issues that you've heard them raise, uh, these uh, potential constituents of yours? Yeah. Well, you know, when I first started running, I was primarily talking to Democrats. And I will tell you, it was everybody talks about the extremism. And I heard a whole lot about Senate Bill 8, um, a woman's right, you know, and I believe a woman should be able to control the course of her reproductive health. And I think that this Senate Bill 8, I call it the vigilante abortion bill. And it was interesting because in this district, there's a lot of times you'll knock on a Democratic door and there will be a woman who is a Democrat and she would be on my list of people to talk to. But her husband might be in the background and maybe he had more of a Republican voting history. And so, um, and they wanted to hear what I had to say, which was great. And it was interesting because one guy summed it up beautifully. And I, I talked about this on the campaign trail. He said, the Democrat, or the, I'm sorry, the Republicans have done what the Democrats never could do. And that's get me to vote Democrat. They felt like that Senate, and they would raise the issue of Senate Bill 8 and talk about how it just went too far. 
And that's what I'm hearing when I'm now I'm talking to more moderate voters. And that's what I'm hearing from moderate voters that they've simply gone too far. Um, people who they call themselves former Republicans, reformed Republicans. That is what I'm hearing from those voters. And I'm seeing a lot of them. Um, but they're talking about Senate Bill 8. We're also hearing a whole, we have hotly contested school board races right now in the Lake Highlands area and in uh, Highland Park. And what I'm hearing from those voters is they're concerned about the anti-intellectualism. And it's something they're talking about outside the context of the legislature, but we can't forget that the legislature started this uh, when they passed what they're calling that critical race theory bill. And they started that dialogue that is now really percolating down into the school board races. And people in this community know their kids need to be well-educated. They know that that means being critical thinkers and that means functioning in a society of people that are different than them. And they know that the, the, the curriculum challenges that are happening, the book banning, that type of thing, just isn't consistent with having a well-educated society. That's really interesting um, that you note that extremism has been, you know, something that has really animated a lot of, of people in the district. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it kind of sent, it, it, it sounds like they were not impressed with the last legislative session and it really actually, um, it permeated and, uh, you know, created like a, a kind of a toxic view of what Texas governance, governance is like, especially controlled by Republicans for 25 years. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've had almost 30 years of Republican control in Texas and we have real issues to deal with. I mean, there's, um, and that's what I'm hearing from folks. They're like, what's going on with our schools? And I, I don't think we can lose sight of the fact that the Republicans have squarely pointed to attacks on our public schools uh, for this next legislative session. I think there is absolutely no doubt that that is what is on tap. And this is a community that's not going to fall for the, um, you know, the, the, the false, the, the false um, hysteria about, you know, what's happening in our schools. These are schools, these are communities, particularly Highland Park and Lake Highlands and certainly Dallas too, that treasure their public schools. They are built around, these are communities that really are built around their public schools. I think over, over in Lakewood, um, Woodrow Wilson is part of the feeder pattern over there. Again, those are, those are areas that love their public schools. And this, that you know, the Republicans can talk about the awful teachers, the awful things happening, but these are communities that see excellence in their public schools. And um, I, I think that's gonna be a real, um, it's something that whoever is elected from this district has got to show a real commitment to that. Mm -hmm. I think attacks on teachers have been, um, you know, just I, I'm the granddaughter of a public school teacher. Yes. My, my grandmother mm -hmm. taught for a long time at Thomas Jefferson. Mm -hmm. um, that's been just heartbreaking for me. I mean, I remember this, you know, you do not go into teaching for the money or anything I, like that. You know, she mm -hmm. was having to buy, uh, you know, highlighters, pencils. Uh, mm -hmm. to, I, she taught English as a second language. Um, so in the 90s, when there was actually some 
uh, refugees from Bosnia coming into Texas, she had to learn a little bit of, of, of that oh, language. Um, I don't know, not too much, just sort of enough to, 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 to communicate. But I mean, like yeah. that, I, I think, that, you know, there's people all around that have stories like that or had a teacher yes. in their life who, you know, really changed the, the trajectory mm -hmm. of, of where they mm -hmm. were going. Um, and so you see sort of attacks on that and librarians as well. Um, yes. That it's, um, I, I don't think, and it's not sustainable either for, for you know, our school. No. I mean, I've talked to so many people who are really worried about, we're going to have this mass exodus of public school teachers um, after, you know, the end of this school year. We're going to be facing a crisis in hiring and retaining good public school teachers. And I don't want the uh, Republican attacks on public schools to, 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 to use that as an opportunity to defund our public schools and say, oh, well, they're not getting the job done. They can't keep their employees. So we need to pull the money out of the public schools because I think that there's this uh, starve the public schools and then we're gonna take the money away and privatize them. And uh, that's not who we are as Texans. Um, when you look at the Texas constitution, it provides for a constitutionally funded system of public education. And it's interesting because when you read that part of the constitution, it, it basically is a citizenship issue. It's, it's, and, and when I say citizenship, I don't mean it in terms of legality of citizenship. It is, we need a well, educated community who understands their rights and their responsibilities. And that is something only public schools can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. I'm talking with a guest uh, next week. Uh, he's a professor out of UC Irvine and he wrote a book about, uh, it's called Madison Sorrow. And it's mm -hmm. sort of about how illiberalism has, has taken hold. And he has this very interesting chapter about George Wallace. And you know everyone sort of remembers mm -hmm you know, segregation now, that speech, but he really yeah. permeated hatred of government. And you sort of see that through line go forward now, especially even you have our governor, you know, always talking about how Texas is, is open and, you know, we're, we're not trying to meddle with you. And yet you look at all of these things that they have done uh, and it's, it's government completely meddling with you. <laughs> It's yes, that's it's bizarre how this this position that used to be a very conservative position about kind of keeping government out of your private life that used to be what they screamed about in, in the 80s, you know, and it is completely flipped. We're going to be in the areas we think we should be in. We know best. And uh, you see that paternalism kind of shrinking down to so many different levels and, and this idea of, of taking away local control. That's what I'm hearing from people in city government. They're really concerned about the infringements on local control. Um, and it's it, there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of intellectual consistency in the conservative movement right now. Um, this is actually just, if we could jump back to Senate Bill 8, um, yes. I am curious if uh, so it, it does sound like a lot of people know about the bill and know about 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 the sort of citizen yeah. vigilante aspect of it. Do you get a sense that a lot of people understand that Roe v. Wade, if it is not totally dismantled, could possibly, you know, be essentially um, essentially uh, 
sort of obliterated, even if it's not totally said so by the Supreme Court or, or that that will be lost. Yeah, I, I think people realize that's on the horizon. People who are paying attention anyway. Um, uh, I think there are, I think there's still some folks out there who think, oh, they always say they want to go that far, but it'll never get that far. They always kind of expected that, that the court would uphold Roe and, and, and we would, we would, you know, keep those legislators in check. And, and, and that's a way, you know, they can talk about it, but the courts would keep things under control. And I don't think that's true. And I think people are realizing that we we're going to be in for shock this summer. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you speak uh, to, Mm -hmm. to, um, to groups about this. And I know you yourself are the mother of two, two daughters Absolutely. Um, so how, how do you, how do you, how does that make you feel? Or how do you want, if you have the opportunity to, to be a state rep, how would you, how would you address this? Yeah. And I'll tell you, probably my guiding light in this entire thing is the fact that I have two daughters. Um, my two girls are in college. They're out of state right now, but I'm doing everything I can to get them to decide to come back to Texas. Um, I'm a seventh generation Texan. I love Texas, but I'll tell you, it's, it's, I'm concerned. And one of the things I, I asked myself, I'm like, is this a place where a young woman would want to start her, her life as an adult? And, um, with the attacks on women's rights in the state, it's it's really challenging, and it's something that has been part of how I've been brought up. My mom, during the during the primary, um, I talked a lot about my mom and my mom's influence on me in this area, and it and, and she was always ready to talk about a how necessary it is that a woman controls her reproductive health. And it really stemmed from when she was a young woman. She was 20 years old she's at the University of Texas. And uh, she and my dad got married. And she wants, always wants to distress that she and my dad got married because she is a woman of that generation. So they got married and she knew she had two years left to finish school. Um, she was becoming a pharmacist and um, wanted to make sure she completed her education. My father was getting ready to do some military service. And so she went to her doctor after she got married and said, hey, I, I'm a pharmacist. I'm a young pharmacy student. I know about the birth control pill. I'd like to get a prescription for that. And her doctor told her, you're a young, healthy woman. You just need to have a lot of babies. Don't you worry about that. There's no reason you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing that. He decided to make that decision for her. Now she left that appointment and uh, went and found another doctor who would write her a prescription for birth control pills. But I will tell you, her experience was not unusual and the attitudes were not unusual that a woman simply didn't have the right to control her reproductive health and other people would make that decision for her. And I don't want us to go back to those days. And that's where we are right now with this vigilante abortion bill. A woman who is facing an unplanned pregnancy or pregnancy that's not, you know, that is not progressing in a way that um, is in her best interest. Um, she is faced with, you know, not receiving the medical care that she needs. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay in 2022 in Texas. 
Texas is built on the built on strong women in this state. I mean, your your mother is one of those people. I mean, and it's and it's women need to be able to determine the direction of their lives, and controlling your reproductive health is essential to that. And I'm, it's the the tragedies that are coming out of this and, and, and the lost opportunities for so many women is um, just breaks my heart. And we've got to roll back some of that, some of these attacks on women's reproductive rights. I know it, it very, it's very recent history when you learn about the things that women could not control, not being able to have a credit card, yes. uh, even just basic, you know, sort of beyond reproductive care for a lot of medical procedures or mm-hmm. just appointments, the doctor would just talk to the husband. Right. Um, if you if you watch the movie Love Story, um, I'm gonna yes. kind of, I'm gonna kind of yeah, spoil it. Right. It's, it's yes. a 50 year old movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 50 year old movie. I'm gonna kind of, kind of spoil it and say Ali McGraw gets you know a, a life. She gets basically some very tragic news about yes. about her health. But it, it, he talks to her husband, who's in the movie played yes. by Brian O'Neill, and mm-hmm. like that's. That's a very common thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's say you know we flash forward uh, to November, and you know Beto is governor. We have a, a new lieutenant governor. We have a new mm-hmm. attorney general, uh, and you are in the this, the state legislature. What are and if, if we could get beyond you know a lot of this stuff, you know these attacks on abortion, this yeah. you know attacks on quote unquote critical race theory. What are right. some of the issues that you would really like to see Texas take on? We need to be increasing our funding for Texas public schools. Um, right now, um, the, you know, the details of the school finance are, I believe intentionally a bit convoluted, but as it works right now, we've got these huge increases in property values that are happening right now. And um, for every additional dollar that's raised locally, essentially the state share decreases. And we need to have the, um, the state should be funding at least 50% of the public schools. That enables us to have fully funded or closer to fully funded public schools. And it also allows local governments to offer a bit of property tax relief because I think people are gonna be in for some real surprises um, whenever they start paying their property property taxes. And so I think there's a way to accomplish both of those things, fully commit to our public schools. You know, we had a huge budget surplus this last time around absolutely huge. And it didn't go into the usual budgeting process because it kind of supposedly came came late and they learned about it later and they viewed it as, as almost like play money. I think it was one of the things that emboldened Greg Abbott to spend billions of dollars down at the border. And you think about that is money that was available to Texas public schools. And the decision was made that they'd rather have a political stunt. And so I will be so excited, particularly if we get a, a Democratic comptroller in there, um, in the, that we can make some real headway in terms of fully funding our Texas public schools. No, I mean, I, Lone Star has been, I mean, it's been very, extremely tragic. We've heard really yes. horrific stories about deaths, about, mm-hmm. um, you know, lack of equipment, um, these mental health ordeals that they're they're putting these guardsmen and women through. It's mm-hmm. uh, in addition to being just a waste of, of money. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's so stupid. 
there's no results. If we had results and they're trying to manipulate the numbers, I'm sure you, there was an article recently that talked about um, they've essentially taken all the crime statistics for their for their border, what they're calling their border region that actually includes Midland. And they are saying all the drug seizures and everything within that entire area that they're trying to attribute to this Operation Lone Star. So they're trying to play with the numbers. They really don't have any serious results that they've been able to show. They violated the constitutional rights of people that they're arresting on trespass charges and local governments don't have the resources to properly process them. So they're, you know, it's, it's all for show Mm -hmm. and it's expensive and it's money we need in other areas. Um, I think we've also got to have a strong response to uh, what's happening in our foster care system. It is an absolute crisis. Um, We are under a court order in Texas to improve this system, and I have seen no real meaningful change. Um, It's it's sad. It's tragic because these are children that are in the custody of the state, which means they are our children. And we need to be caring for these children as if they were our children. And um, we've got some serious work to do there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you could imagine if, you know, we, if the Texas Republicans spent, you know, the same time and energy attacking trans children and their families and allies mm-hmm. and putting that to fixing the foster care system, we would, we yeah. would actually be, be helping children. Absolutely. That. Yes. Um, so that's, that's how you show you care. Yeah. yeah. So, so one last thing. Uh, so you are running against a, an incumbent. He has been in the legislature mm-hmm. a couple of years um, so let's say you do meet someone on the trail, they like this person, but mm-hmm. you know, they maybe there are things that they, they don't like that he has voted mm-hmm. for. What would be your pitch to maybe get this person who has voted Republican most of their life to consider voting for Liz Ginsburg? Okay. Well, you know, and I've had these conversations with folks who know, know my opponent and I will tell you, he's a gentleman. He's there's, I've, I've never heard anything that he's. He is not. The problem is, is he is a dependable vote for the most extreme legislation in the legislature. They count on his vote. And he tries to pitch himself as a moderate, um, suggesting to people, well, I'm not one of those, you know, crazy Republicans. But you know what? He supports their agenda. And it's people like him who enable them to continue doing what they're doing. If they didn't have the votes of people like my opponent, they wouldn't be able to accomplish this agenda. And um, he's real quiet about it. He doesn't have, you know, I got his um, legislative summary, kind of a, you may have got one in the mail. It, you know, they say, oh, this is what we did this session. And I thought, I was like, did a page fall out of here? Because I, you know, there was Senate, there were all of the most extreme social, social issues that, that were, you know, the transgender children, the Senate bill eight, the critical race theory. Um, I mean, just so many of, of those things. And those were completely absent. And he talked a lot about his service on the Ways and Means Committee and um, about this, you know, we're getting ready to vote on this new, uh, on the constitutional amendment to raise our um, 
our homestead exemption by $15,000. Well, in this district, that's nothing. That is when you, the, the actual savings, assuming you don't have increases in your property valuations, which virtually everyone has, is maybe $180. It's a very small number. So he's, he's talking a lot about that and trying to ignore the real issues that, he's, that he has enabled. All right. Well, again, my thanks to, to Liz Ginsburg and for folks who might be interested in volunteering or helping out your campaign, what's the best way for them to go about doing that? Sure. We try to have all of our opportunities listed on our website. It's LizForTexas.com and four is spelled out. Um, so it's L-I-Z-F-O-R-T-E-X-A-S.com. Um, you can learn about me there. Also, I'm on all social media, Twitter. Um, I'm also on um, Facebook. So you can learn more about me there. Um, we have block walks. We are talking to voters and we are knocking on doors every Saturday. Um, and we can schedule times if there's other times that work better for your schedule. If you want to talk to your neighbors about what's going on, um, we're also meeting in people's homes, uh, it, you know, neighborhoods, they'll invite the people on their street and I'll show up and, and, and visit with them. And, and I'm talking to Republicans. I'm talking to Democrats, moderates folks who aren't quite sure what they are. And so um, we're excited about this race and would welcome any help you could offer. I can testify to the block walking. Uh, I got a, a knock on the door uh, before the primary. That, uh -huh. my, we, we had a Elizabeth Ginsburg sign. So I think that, uh -huh. that, that, that uh, who the household was supporting. Um, but again, my thanks to, to Liz Ginsburg. And I will be talking a lot about this this race uh, because this is the district that, that I live in. <laughs> well, I'm excited about it. And I think it's really, it, it, it's, I think it's, it's one of those few swing districts where, and I think it's going to be exciting for Texas. Um, I think this district shows what can happen when we listen to Texans and don't fall for the gerrymandering and the extremism. Well, again, my thanks to Liz Ginsburg, and thank you so much for listening and supporting the TexMix podcast. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google. I think we're coming soon to Amazon. Uh, be sure to check out texassignal.com. Uh, if you're interested, we also have a Patreon subscription, uh, so you can just go to the website and hit, hit donate. Uh, so again, thank you all so much, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Jessica. It's been fun talking with you. Bye.